1: This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, well, however, you're listening to this, it's the Custard TV podcast with you once again. Uh, Matt here. Uh, we have another four shows this week to discuss, and I have uh, two people with me to discuss them. Quite an collective lineup of shows this week. And when I think of a collective, I obviously think of Mr. Mo Walker. How are you, Mo?
2: i'm here and i'm I'm looking forward to discuss these shows thanks
1: good week mo anything through reports
2: this month has flown by personally (laughs) i'm still trapped in 2022 somewhere yeah i I can't really complain even managed to find a bunch of really cheap vintage comics so no i can't really complain about this week
1: (laughs) well done and uh, joining us, I believe for the second time on the podcast, you will have uh, read his stuff on the, on the website. We've got Milo joining us. How are you, Milo?
3: Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Nothing much to report here in terms of how my week's been going. I have been started recording my steps as to when I'm walking to work.
0: Mm. So um,
3: I didn't realise how long I was taking to get into work. So it's um, getting get me into this routine. And I'm hitting about 25k steps a day, which is, quite mad but i'm getting there i
1: think yeah you know what milo exactly the same on this end i've got my yeah. uh my fitbit on yeah if I got can it those.
3: The camera.
1: <laughs> uh christmas present um yeah so i'm about the same actually 20 25k so yeah get walking everyone this
0: could be a podcast don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those uh definitely not anyone with a computer can make one
1: this is the custard tv podcast
0: yes that would entertain me briefly from the i just wanted
1: to have a quick chat with milo because milo if you follow him on twitter he's very much into his films as well as his tv aren't you Oscar nominations this week because I feel like I am really behind on a lot of films I don't know about Mo but anything you feel like people should have been watching that that sort of has been listed in the Oscar nominations
3: this week? It's actually been a good year I think of like every single Oscar nominee that I've seen I haven't seen The Fablemans yet because it's only just come out in the UK Um, I think we should be seeing that on Tuesday or Wednesday but my favourite is probably Your Quiet on the Western Front Nice. I really like that one. Um, I saw it in cinemas. It's a really well detailed character driven war film. And I was surprised as to how much I loved Avatar 2 as well. I think it's completely shamelessly leans into its science fiction tropes. Mm. Looks fantastic. Had a great time watching it. I've seen it twice now. And wow. it's just been more entertaining every time I've seen it. So um, Banshees was terrific, of course.
1: The only two that I have seen is, uh, I know you're not a fan of Everything Everywhere all at once, are you?
3: Second time around, I didn't quite enjoy it as much as the first. I think it lost me a bit in the second act. But I had a great time watching it the first time, so I'll probably go back to liking it when I watch it again, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I can yeah, see yeah. how
1: it might not stand up to repeat watchings. And the other one I saw last year at cinemas was Elvis as well, which I mm. quite enjoyed. Mo, any, anything that's, that's piqued your interest in the Oscar nominations, anything
2: I know Top Gun: Maverick will not win. I really enjoy Top Gun: Maverick, even, even though it is a love letter to the American military. I think you'll really enjoy The Fablemans, Milo, I'm not sure. It, it is a little bit long, but I honestly wanted maybe even like another 10 minutes of the sh- of the film just to see uh, a little bit more how things wrap up. And um, my, I guess my favorite on the list um, is. Every everything everywhere all all at once um with Fablemans right under that.
1: And um, just to say, that is on Amazon now. Everything everywhere all at once. All quite on the Western front. I believe is on Netflix. Is that right, Miley? Uh,
3: yeah, I think it is. They've actually done a really good job this year in making sure that about I think ninety percent of the nominees are really accessible on streaming services. So that's good. Or in cinemas at the moment with Tar, I think. Mm -hmm. So that makes a change from previous years. I think we didn't get The Father until like June or July. Something ridiculous like that.
1: Some film recommendations, but now to the TV portion of the podcast... This week we will be discussing uh, Nolly, that's Russell T. Davis's new drama, Story Hell on a Bottom Court, that's on ITVX. Dear Ed- Edward, which is on Apple TV Plus, new sort of supernatural detective uh, drama Lockwood and Co. that is on Netflix. And also on Netflix we have got game show competition i would say uh physical 100 so that's our, our lineup of shows but first we are doing our yet untitled and we will come up with a title of this at some point what we're watching at the moment now as um me and mo were both on the podcast last week we'll go to milo first what what have you been watching at the moment milo what's your sort of recommendations and
3: stuff like that so i just finished sas for Heroes on BBC iPlayer towards the end of last year it's a really fun war series It uses a lot of the tropes that you come to expect from Stephen Knight who the Peaky Blinders he's more famous for that I think but it's a really fun show it's got the energy of a good hangout tv series it's not very demanding it's boys own adventure I think and it really aces that feel to it and you can never go on with a bit of ACDC on the soundtrack I think that's <laughs> used really well <laughs> I've also been watching cabinet of Curiosities, so uh, del toro's anthology on netflix and that's been a bit of hit and miss so far but some of the episodes i'm four episodes in and it's been interesting to see what new horror type thing they're coming to each time they go back to revisit it and the practical effects or the way they use the effects to make them look as practical as possible i'm not sure which is practical and which is cgi at this point because it's so really well done in terms of visuals
1: last of us have you started that yet at all or uh
3: yeah two episodes in i'm really liking it um i've played the games i think it's a bit too familiar with the games to the point where i feel like it's almost repeating the same story that i've already played multiple times but there's enough new things i think and the performance is excellent so i'm really liking the mood and atmosphere it's a really high budget
1: mo you, have you got co- caught up with that i'm still i haven't gone into episode two yet are you have you seen the second one
2: yeah I've, I've watched the second episode i i also really enjoyed it i sort of made the mistake of watching it fairly close to bedtime so i could have swore that i heard like a clicker at some point in, in the middle of the night no it could be <laughs> that i was having a dream it's a high production show you can definitely see where the money is going i've only played a little bit of the game so i'm gonna have to rely on others to tell me if this is if a certain scene is basically like a cut screen or something <laughs> but, that's uh, generally
3: the vibe that i've got from it so far it's all very much cut scenes at the moment and i think you can tell when the pace slows down for like a pause in the game when the characters are told what to do next and what the next mission objective is so in that sense it's really faithful
2: watch two episodes of poker face the new mm-hmm. Natasha Lyonne, um, it's, it's a noir a mystery series, which uh, Natasha Lyonne's character has the ability to detect when someone is lying to her. very much feels like a throwback show circa the 1970s, uh, your Rock Files, those types of shows, even to the point like you have title cards and so forth that are throwback title cards. Definitely, if you, when you get a chance, um, definitely w- would watch it. I mean, Peacock over here in the U.S. Uh, released four episodes, which I think is a little, a little ridiculous. I watched the first two. Definitely going to go back to it. And then I watched another episode of Extraordinary, which we reviewed mm, on the yeah. pod last week. I continue to enjoy it a lot. Mm. Um, I'm just going to do a slow binge. All eight episodes have been released, and it's also been renewed for um,
1: mm-hmm. a second series yeah. as well the golden touch yeah in terms of uh, poker face they haven't announced where that's going to land in the UK yet mo so thanks for rubbing that in a lot of people this week i've seen asking luke on twitter when it's going <laughs> like he's like the arbiter of when tv gets commissioned he's like the oracle yeah i think there's obviously a lot of buzz from your side of the pond Mo and, and we're hoping that's going to come over to us soon still watching happy valley at the moment um i know uh, mo you're saving it milo happy valley watcher at all or
3: uh, yeah i love it i've only seen the first episode um on season three at the moment yeah. but i'm looking forward to getting back stuck into it and once more episodes have uh, been made available i think i'm gonna have a day where i just binge all of it it's fantastic
1: always record on a Sunday, so we're basically an episode behind. I've seen episode four. By uh, this time next week, basically it'll be over, so you can do your binge. But th- this was the episode where sort of a lot of things happened. There was a brilliant final like sequence, which you sort of saw coming, but was still well executed. There was also a brilliant scene between Sarah Lancashire and Con O'Neill, who we'll be talking about in a minute, in another show. I mean it's perfectly balanced between these scenes of like long 10-minute conversations and then you'll get a bit of action there's a a thread as well at the moment about uh, domestic abuse and there's a long interview scene between the parents of the of the lady who's the victim and and Sarah's character Catherine Kaywood and that is that is all brilliantly done and it all feels very authentic so yeah, we've got the penultimate episode tonight. And just a bit of a tease. We will be doing a, a detailed review next week of of the final episode. So that's to look forward to. Before we get to the reviews, uh, let's do the plugs. Uh, Mo, Geek Confidential, what, what's happening there?
2: Well, we do have a new episode out. We talk a bit about our picks for um, Best Film TV of 2022. We're hoping to record some additional episodes in the near future. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook. Episodes can be accessed through uh, Apple Podcasts and um, all your other regular podcatchers.
1: Milo, anything to plug? Where can we find you? Where can we find your writing?
3: Um, I do a lot of film reviews for Spotify TV and I'm in a bit of a quiet period at the moment in terms of writing, mainly because of how many hours I'm working at the moment. But I'm doing Glasgow Film Festival in March, I think, so I'm looking forward to doing that. I'm on Twitter, Milo underscore AFC as well. So I'll always be able to be reached there.
1: And he, he is on Twitter quite a lot, folks. So he's a, he's a good follow,
2: unlike <laughs> Mo, who's quite a mediocre follow. No, I'm only joking.
3: Mo,
1: what's your Twitter?
2: <laughs> you can find me at DrMo77. And yes, I, I recommend following Milo. Milo, you, you always have a lot of great posts about film and telly and i do look forward to seeing what you're you're watching because you always have a list and like you're constantly updating well i'm watching this today and i'm watching this you know throughout <laughs> the week it's it's actually a fun read
3: yeah thank you it's uh, dropped a bit now i'm working like 40 hours a week but and <laughs> uh, yeah and um
1: because tv.com at the moment we have we will have a review of the most recent happy valley There's also a review of uh, Shrinking, which we talked about last week. Mo, that's up there now, and your usual sort of collection of news and what's coming soon. Um, It's all up there now. It's custardtv.com and the Custard TV podcast. We more or less release an episode a week. We have got a massive archive you can find on your podcast app of choice, whether that's Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. Uh, check us out, rate, review and subscribe and as we say every week if you'd like to get involved with us uh, please uh, get in touch you can uh, DM myself at Matt's TV Bites, Luke at LukeCustardTV or at TV Pod. and um, we've also got the uh, email which is CustardTVReviews at gmail.com we are on Facebook and we are on Instagram it's the Custard TV. so there's loads of ways you can contact us and discuss tv with us so uh without further ado let's do some discussion of tv and um, first up we've got Nolly, which is a new drama uh, from russell t davis about the actress Noel gordon uh mo can i just ask you first of all because you had specifically asked to discuss this on the podcast so what's your sort of impetus behind it why did you want to watch this specifically
2: Two things, really. I'm a fan of soap operas. been a huge fan for many decades. I was not familiar with Crossroads until I heard about this project being commissioned. I'm also a bit of an aficionado when it comes to like backstage drama on soaps. At times, it feels like the backstage drama is much more interesting than what you have on screen, uh, particularly with the American soaps and so forth. Plus, uh, my love of Russell T. Davy, I'm just this—I'm just the target. I, I think it's just uh, sort of made for me. Plus, it's it's three parts that you gotta get in and out. Plus, um, it's fascinating, just in reading um, some of the interviews Russell T. has been doing. Yeah, uh, you know, he talks about his love of, of soap operas and so forth, and um, and it, I, I think that it does kind of shine through in this.
1: And he wrote for Corrie as well back in the day, like era where I think it was him and Sally Wainwright both started on Corrie and Children's Ward, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with, almost like a children's soap set in a hospital. Sally Wainwright, Rossity Davis, Paul Abbott, they all worked on that show around the same time, which is odd seeing now that they're sort of some of our biggest uh, writers. Milo, you're far too young to remember Children's Ward, aren't
3: you? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> t- yeah definitely. So, 28 in May, so I wouldn't
1: say very young. <laughs> You're younger than but, me and Mo, yeah. by the there's a, there's, a, there's a few references here. And just just to ask, I'll ask Mo to set it up in a minute. But had you heard of, of Crossroads at all?
3: Completely new, I think. What yeah. drew me to this show was Russell T. Davis. Mm. I loved uh, Years and Years. I loved It's a Sin, obviously Doctor Who. So I've got many approaching this from that side and I'm always a sucker for learning more about TV history, particularly British TV history. So it's exciting to see that from a completely new perspective. And it's one of those rare things about TV and TV history that I'm approaching not knowing the story beforehand. So that was welcome.
2: Nolly uh, stars Helena Bottom Carter as the lead actress, uh, Noelle uh, Nolly uh, Gordon we kind of get a bit of a bit of flashback here. We, we start uh, initially start in 1938, which weirdly we have a young Nolly, and then we jump to 1975 because of, uh, that seemed to be, I, I would say, probably the beginning of the sort of last stretch of Crossroads based on my reading. And it's really a nice setting, setting up point. I did actually watch a couple episodes of Crossroads that were around this period an episode leading up to the wedding that that's shown and the wedding itself. So I, just to give me a bit more, bit more context, we clearly see that uh, Nolly is adored by the fans. They, they like to call it the queen of the Midlands. She goes, Arise on set. There is a new uh, cast member who, who, who joins named Poppy. My understanding is that there was a black character on uh, Crossroads, who was a familiar relationship to Nolly's character Meg, but I, my understanding is that the timeline is a little bit different here. Poppy helps us learn a bit of context about how the the show is made, which I think is is really interesting and helps I think uh, in terms of setting up a little bit of foreshadowing what happens down the line. Even though she is this queen of the series and in the show encompasses her life to the degree where she's having a solitary dinner going over scripts she does connect with one of uh, her co-workers on the show uh, t- uh, t- uh tony adams um it's funny there is this one uh scene in which um tony and and um Nolly are out and they run into some uh, a fan and they said oh i love you on coronation street and it's hilarious because she she's like i'm on crossroads not on Corey. (laughs) um in in the background simmering to this you you get a bit of little action with the aforementioned uh con o'neill as uh jack jack barton who is a producer on the show and um there's this internal conflict between Nolly and jack which kind of boils to a head when uh the show's producer, ATV, makes the call that they are going to uh, not renew Nolly's contract. And it, it, she's basically been fired. So we kind of end with this interesting scene between Jack Barton and Nolly, which I think sets up more or less Nolly's mission for the next two episodes.
1: Like you, Mo, I did a bit of reading around myself. In terms of, like, my knowledge of Crossroads, it- one of those shows my parents watched I believe it finished in 88 so you know I would be too young to know it but my main frame of reference and I don't know um how much British sketch comedy you've seen but Victoria Woods did a, a like a sketch called Acorn Antiques um which was a takeoff of Crossroads basically and and all the little things that Crossroads was known for like shaky sets and people holding for too long like you know and and when the scenes ended we saw it in this you know where people would flinch and that there was for example the thing with the phone ringing when they had to extend a scene and they had to improvise because it was filmed live to tape so like victoria wood would send that up with uh with Akon antiques and um julie walters famously played a character called mrs overall who was the the cleaner and and I don't know if you guys agree that they sort of set it up that the reason they weren't renewing Nolly's contract was because she was a bit of a diva, because she dictated the scripts and stuff like that. Would, would you agree that that's sort of how it was presented?
2: Not necessarily, because mm. uh, it's a kind of this mix between that's where the show... Mm. Seems to be going. Plus, you know, and I did a little bit of background reading. They yeah. were talking, and again, they do bring this up. Uh, Tony Adams, you know, brings this up as like this quote-unquote conspiracy about ATV wanting to kill the show mm. because they they had been bought a few years earlier. The so, wanted to pivot, pivot basically.
1: Yeah, what it was was that I think it was Central TV had come in to encompass ATV but Crossroads still had a contract, so they had a commitment to continue doing Crossroads, even though it was seen at that point of being somewhat of a relic and somewhat perhaps of a little bit of a joke. And they thought by getting rid of Nolly, that the ratings will plummet and they would be able to ax it. And I think that to me didn't come across.
3: I would agree, I think. uh, To me, I took it as the series being all about Nolly's control of her own narrative and Mm. how she looks to eventually turn the situation into suiting her own agenda and making sure that while she's leaving the show, she's going to do it very much on her own terms. Mm. I like that scene towards the end where it comes into a bit of acceptance that she's leaving. But she's going to seize control of the story and that scene where she walks out to press, I'm not sure how spoilery we can go. No, go but for it. It's a really powerful scene and it's really a way of showing just how clever and the script is. I think it's very self-aware, very mature in terms of the subject matter, I think is the right way of describing it. And it's got Russell's sensibility that he brings to pretty much all of his scripts in that, making sure that the character's in complete control.
1: And and I, I would agree that, like, you can tell that, that Russell T Davies has a affinity for this time. You know, he obviously watched Crossroads growing up and there is a warmth to it. And it, that series of scenes, uh, Mo, that you described of when uh, the new cast member comes in and and introducing how they film, how they rehearse and... The setup and and what we do if things overrun, I I thought that was all really good and as you say this sort of behind the scenesness of TV. I know Luke always says how much he enjoys TV about TV. I think certainly those elements would be up his street. I'm not sure if the the weaker parts for me maybe of the like the character stuff as you say with Nolly and Tony and how did you find Mo Helena Bonham Carter's performance because obviously the character main sort of accent has to be like from you know, set in Birmingham, even though I believe the actress was born in, in North London. I struggle with Helena Bonham Carter to, to get out of my head that it is Helena Bonham Carter. What did you think of her performance?
2: Yeah, I, I definitely did, did struggle a little bit with that. And I think it didn't help the fact that, you know, while I was watching this, you know, sometimes I would pause and if, there was a character uh, introduced or on screen and I wasn't quite sure who that character was. I would look up that individual did a little bit of reading about them. And again, I would keep, I keep, I kept coming up to these pictures of, of Nolly. And so in my mind, there was this disconnect between Helen Bottom Carter and the real Nolly. And so, yeah, I, I couldn't quite, see her hella bono Hart, clearly as as nolly but i think you know sometimes with these these bio shows that the point is not necessarily you know fully completely channeling you know that character or that individual it's about us, the viewers, having a bit of context and about a little insight and making that connection to what their world and what their life was about. And I think from that perspective, Helen Bonacart does a really great job of that. Because, um, again, you get these sort of quieter scenes with her character. We learn that you know Crossroads literally is her entire life. It
1: seems between us we've done a lot of reading. I mean, mine was mainly Wikipedia and the press pack, but she was quite an influential behind-the-scenes figure as well. She sort of she was a producer. I believe she trained uh, or, or got a degree in New York for, for TV production, hosted a TV chat show. So she did a lot of other things. You know, Crossroads wasn't sort of the be-all and end-all, and it sort of was towards the end of her life. I know, obviously, this isn't a biopic as per se you know this is very much what happened to her at the end of her life i believe she dies in in 1985 so um but this is i think russell t davis's main focus and i think it's done very well is the sort of the the corporate structure behind tv it's the creatives versus the suits isn't it and how brutal that sort of relationship is to the extent of getting rid of who who is basically in this presented as a national treasure? The amount of like letters that come in once she announces to the press that, that that they've sacked her, and the calls that they get. You know, she there's always a little group of people outside the studios every day wanting her to sign things. So she's very much presented as 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 a national treasure.
3: Yeah, I would agree. I think um it's quite hard to distinguish from Helena Bonham Carter. I think. Um, I, it's I kept seeing her rather than Nolly, but again it's um, still I think there's some scenes where it, her performance really shines through especially in say the, when she receives a phone call that she's been fired it's just such a brutal scene the scene at the end which I, I've already mentioned is just terrific so there's moments of strength in that and as someone who's watched all six seasons of Peaky Blinders, I know the Birmingham accent isn't uh, easiest to get right.
1: <laughs> and they do pick up on it, don't they? That the um, the sort of the dialect that a lot of them use. And I thought there was a uh, abbreviation they used, and I can't remember what it was now. But when Poppy first comes in, she's there sp- speaking with the broad Birmingham accent. But her Nolly's thing is that within the motel scenes we all speak quite proper and you know this affected almost posh accent that they do i i think that on the whole this was was an enjoyable thing and i i think would be worth watching the other two parts i, I think we're both in agreement there yeah d- definitely yeah. and yeah um, i agree as well one thing though, and it's just odd this this ITVX thing. I, you know, it's we've we've mentioned it several times, but it almost seems to be somewhere in the background. This seems to be the most promoted of the ITVX dramas. There's been a lot of uh, Russell T Davies has done a lot of interviews and Helena Bonham Carter as well, but this is on a streaming service, and I don't know. A lot of the ITVX dramas seem to have got a bit lost, like Litvinenko. Didn't really hear a lot of, of chat about that without Sin. I mean, have you tried to use ITVX, Milo, at all for anything?
3: Uh, beyond the football, uh, <laughs> not much. But I think ITVX, I think they mainly advertising it as a streaming service. They're not really advertising what's on the streaming service they've got an ad in the cinema at the moment and at not one point did they mention any show that was actually on their service they were just saying oh this is a new ITV redesign and they weren't really going into details about what shows they had so I think a bit more promotion for them wouldn't go amiss.
1: Eventually they all will be coming over to ITV one I should say Uh, but it just seems like this is a bit hidden away and I think if someone would say where's where's Nolly and you said ITVX they wouldn't have a clue what it was really which which is a shame because this is probably one of the ones that people would watch and it just feels a bit odd that it's not just on ITV1 9pm on say like Monday Tuesday night.
3: Um, I think I had to tell my friend colleagues at work that ITVX was once ITV Hub Mm. so if it's not really reaching out into the general public
0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life.
3: No purchase necessary. VTW. Revoid. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. That's changed. I'm not mm. sure how effective that rebranding is. No, exactly. It's it's there
1: now. Um, and I think this is the one we all three of us are going to recommend and we'll watch uh, the other two episodes uh, so moving on now to Apple TV Plus, we have Dear Edward. This is uh, an, an adaptation of the book by Anne Napal-Itano. Um It's been adapted uh, and f- for the screen by Jason Cutting, uh known for Friday Night Lights. More recently, um, as we see it, uh, the sadly cancelled um, Amazon Prime. Comedy drama. It centres around a plane crash, and primarily the crash is one survivor, um, Edward Adler, or Eddie, as he's referred to uh, by his family. Uh, we focus quite heavily on um, Eddie. The the opening scene is uh, his face during the crash, and his sort of looking over to his older brother Jordan. We then get the old Luke special, um, where we flash back to seeing Jordan and Eddie together. Uh, They're in the uh, process, the family are from moving to uh, LA from New York. Mum in the family is a screenwriter, they're moving for her job. Uh, Dad is a teacher, he homeschools both boys. Jordan feels like he's in the shadow of Eddie. Eddie is a lot more proficient at playing the piano, understands the school subjects a lot more. So Jordan basically says to parents, when we get to LA, I want to enlist in in public school. Uh, This first episode very much plays with the narrative. We get sort of flashbacks upon flashbacks and then forward and back in time with all these different characters who are all linked to people who are on the plane. So we get the Granddaughter of a local congressman who also works for her, who's sort of struggling with whether she should stay in politics. Uh, We've got an actress who is flying to LA to audition for Spike Jones. Uh, We've got a character played by Connie Britton, who is uh, married to a a guy who's on the crash. And then it ends basically with the actual crash. We've also got Taylor Schilling in there as uh, Lacey, who is aunt to uh, Eddie. She's hoping to have a child of her own. She's had three miscarriages. Her husband's hoping that when uh, the family arrive that she'll have someone to confide in. He's worried how obsessed she is about having a baby. It ends with Lacey learning the plane crash along with all the other characters who are linked to people on the plane and it appears that Lacey's life uh, may change significantly as the series goes on. I'll go to uh, Milo first on this one. Is this sort of your kind of thing it's a bit sort of a, of an emotional drama and and did you enjoy
2: it
3: um i was a bit hit and miss on it i think mm. um it's very similar It's taking keys from a million little things and this is us i think and how yeah emotionally sure. manipulative it is it's not very subtle it's quite broad it's a lot of characters all happening at once all events going on at once and they're all eventually drawn into this um uh, plane crash at the end you see their lives before the plane crash i kind of see where it's coming from more than enjoy it i think it does what it sets out to do quite well if you let yourself be emotionally manipulated by it you will um find it a tearjerker the performances very much land the emotional moments i think
2: you know this is what jason katums does best i mean whether you're talking about parenthood friday night lights, he has this ability, which he does really well, of setting up your characters and then just putting them through an emotional ringer. And I think you have to be in a mood for this. Otherwise, like Milo said, you're going to be emotionally manipulated. Uh, my understanding is, is that one of the things that Kadams has done, you know, where, where the book was more focused on Eddie and his journey in the aftermath of this crash and being the the, the lone survivor you know we're getting we're touching upon a little bit more those other characters you know whose lives were intertwined with the plane crash because it obviously it it can clearly based on this you can have successive seasons you know because there's just so many characters whose lives are now going to be changed forever because of this plane crash and they're all linked together I think what you see with Jason Kadams is what you get with Jason Kadams. Um, I love the fact that we did get some insights and we got to know a bit about a lot of the characters in this.
1: There are all three episodes are going to be released together on, on Apple because that's how they do their release structure. So I think you, get, you will get a bit more. We've all watched the first episode here. I would have liked to have gone on because I think this is mainly about the relationship, I I believe, between Eddie and uh, Lacey. Almost him becoming her surrogate child. I mean, her and her husband, you you can see her already talking about adoption. So this sort of almost falls into their lap. But I think a lot of this is going to be about that survivor's guilt. From the trailer I've seen, it's like the, the support groups and stuff like that and the grieving process it is very heavy handed, Mo, as you sort of alluded to. I think the most stark scene actually was the aftermath of the plane crash in the the rescue team going over the remnants of the plane and checking the pulses of, of the people there and doing it very nonchalantly. The guy who finds Eddie, we see him pre-rescue sort of is he he's smoking something he seemed very sort of out of it when he got there and then he he jolted up when he found this lad who was still and he was sort of encased wasn't he in almost uh, like the bit of the plane because he was sitting next to the window that almost sort of saved him in a way and but I thought that was visually the most stark scene leading up to that with the actual crash that felt very generic that sort of fight he has with his mum when he finds out his brother is going to be homeschooled, the texts to your loved ones and things like that. And and the scene where all of the people linked to the people on the plane are watching the the news story at the same time. As you say, it was very emotionally manipulative. But I found I was oddly drawn in. I don't think it got me in got me in the feels, as the kids say, but I think that it was very very watchable you know I, I i didn't have to get up and come back to it or anything like that very glossy uh, as mo says you see what you see is what you get really and this feels to me like a good show to watch if you're ill i think <laughs> i don't know if you agree that i was just thinking if i was in bed with a cold and i had just had this on i you know you would easily get through this because it, it's it's very well acted it's well put together and you sort of know where it's going and you don't have to sort of work very hard. Your brain doesn't have to work very hard to understand it. Does that make sense?
2: I was going to say uh, it makes sense, but I, I can tell you now that I would not put this on if I was ill in bed. Because, okay. <laughs> because this is, it was draining. I just okay felt emotionally drained after watching this.
1: I've obviously got no
3: soul, Mo. is what you're telling me, isn't it?
2: No. <laughs> no,
3: no, no, no. I not say that. <laughs> I almost felt this show felt more of an autumn show for me, if that makes sense. It mm. might be because of the vibe of the soundtrack, was very autumn y with George Ezra on the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. The and he yeah, the opening scene in um, when they're cycling is it, around uh, New York before they yeah. moved to LA. And it's a very autumn y type cinematography filming setup. So I wonder if.
1: No, I Maybe, get it. Uh,
3: airing in January may not have been the best call. <laughs> mm-hmm. Certainly, those scenes
1: felt very autumnal. Yeah. So that is on um, Apple TV Plus from Friday. First three episodes, and then an episode per week. Uh, we've got another um, adaptation now. This is uh, Lockwood and Co on uh, Netflix. This is uh, adapted from uh, Jonathan Stroud's novels of the same name. I believe this series uh, adapts the first two novels. The adaptation is by Joe Cornish, who I personally know from back in the day from the Adam and Joe show, also directed um, Attack the Block uh, about a decade ago. So this is a um, supernatural story. It's set... 50 years after an event called The Problem, where ghostly spirits start roaming the world. Uh, children are the only people able to fight them. Uh, there are these um, agencies that are run by adults who employ these children to try and sort of combat the ghosts, the spirits. We follow Lucy Carlisle, who is a psychically gifted girl, um, who's basically sold to one of these agencies uh, by a mother Uh, When she's 13, uh, she uh, begins her training, gets a a new best friend in a girl called Norrie. They sort of hatch a plan to go to London to work for one of the sort of the TikTok agencies. But then there's an event that happens, tragedy strikes and... Lucy sort of accuses the head of the agency, Mr Jacobs, of negligence and when her mother sort of tries to get her to go back she leaves her behind, goes to London, tries to find uh, an agency that will employ her but she hasn't done all of her tests, hasn't got any references so a lot of doors are slammed on her. She finds an ad- advert for uh, Lockwood and Co which is this small agency run by um Another adolescent, Anthony Lockwood, um, along with his uh, sardonic sidekick George. Uh, Lucy's un- hired almost instantly on the spot after passing all the tests that uh, Anthony and George set for her. Uh, she's intrigued by Anthony's backstory and how he came to acquire the house that the agency's based in. It starts with our favourite Luke Special three months earlier, where we or three months later, where we see this scene where Lucy and Auntie are fighting this, they believe it's the ghost of uh, the late occupant, but it's a elderly woman in a in a wedding dress, I believe. And Lucy during this fight learns that she might have another skill that she didn't realise she had previously. So that's sort of the basic building blocks of this. Was anyone aware of the, of the source material at all, either of you? I
3: definitely no. wasn't. I've heard of them, but only because my sister was obsessed with them when she was younger. So right, yeah, that's okay. my only connection to them, really.
1: Okay, yeah, because I'd not, I wasn't aware of them either. I mean, I'll, I'll say, let's let's go to Mo first on this. Is this up your alley? Did you enjoy this?
2: This is a bit of an Oliver Twist with Ghostbusters,
0: <laughs>
2: the Luke special. I appreciated the fact that we got that information fairly quickly, and it was fairly concise, uh, Lucy's backstory and how she connected with Anthony. My only concern is that that weakened the ending to the episode. To me, it just kind of felt it came to an abrupt halt, and it it kind of fell apart at that end.
1: It just felt to me like a reason to keep watching, really. I thought thought it was very much click that next episode button now you know just keep going that's what it felt like to me
2: it just felt a little weird to me Mm. i will say that um one of the the nice little touches in here is that when lucy is interviewing at um lockwood and company george is there reading um AD, Mm. the comic magazine which i thought was like this really cute interesting sort of uh twist i just caught that because you know i'm a comic book aficionado and so it was just it was just like a nice little little thing i am very curious to see what happens with lucy's best friend nori going forward Mm. um you know clearly
0: here in key west we were out before it was in in this open and inclusive paradise you can be yourself make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.
2: in, in this um, whether it's Anthony's backstory whether it's Lucy's relationship with her mother whatever that ends up being whether it's uh, I'm sure that Jacob is is going to come back at some point so I, I think there's a lot of building blocks here my concern is is whether or not it's gonna get buried in Netflix because there's just so much mm. and that there's not quite enough in my opinion I, it was likable but to distinguish itself like a Wednesday.
1: I felt this was very much a show of two halves. Obviously, apart from the opening Luke special bit, all the stuff with the training and Lucy's relationship with her mother and all of that, you know, you mentioned Oliver Twist. It did feel very Dickensian, that relationship with her mum. It's like, off you go to this... yeah at 13, I don't want anything to do with you, your dad left us, we need the money. And then obviously with what happens, all of that felt quite bleak. But once she got to London and her interactions with Lockwood and with George and that little setup with the three of them that almost had sort of Big Bang Theory vibes to me in a way, you could see Joe Cornish's humour and his touches from then on the job interview scene, the scene where she's interacting with George um, on the landing when he really wants to go to the toilet, the little bits like them not making her tea until she's done her first test because we've we've wasted enough tea bags today. I just like those little comic touches because it needed that bit of levity for me after so much sort of bleakness early on. I think the interactions with Anthony and Lucy in the in the scenes where they're, they're battling the ghost as well. I think all of that is done very well. And actually, if that's the tone of the piece going forward, then I think it's something that I would enjoy. And it does feel very English as well, which, you know, a lot of these, you know, the Netflix shows are very homogenised. Even if they are set in the UK, they often feel like there isn't a lot of Britishness to them, which I think this does have. And it helps having that, British showrunner there in, in Joe Cornish. What about you, Milo? What did you think?
3: Yeah, I would agree. I think the Britishness kind of differentiates itself enough from the likes of Wednesday, even the series of unfortunate events, for example. And I agree with you about the second half being very much a lighter tone compared to the first half. But I'm also appreciative of how quickly it breezes through all of the training. So it's like you see this quite a lot with YA films in particular and they'll spend the first film and or the first series purely about the training they will only really get to the plot in the third act so getting that out of the way early in the first 20 minutes even in the episode really makes a lot of sense for a show like this and I'm glad that they're very much focused on getting to the point. It reminded me a lot of Joe Barton of his scripts the energy and pace that it moves at I really like the world building as well it's really interesting um, just the little touches and how it differentiates itself from our world too often again you see with fantasy shows they don't have the supernatural element doesn't affect like the everyday life enough until later on potentially but here it's very much first and foremost you see how it's made an impact on everybody and you see how much it's changed everybody's lives and you see how much culture and society has changed because of it and I really appreciated that thought and care to it I can't speak to how faithful it is from the books I will uh, let you know when my sister gets around to watching it and let's see. <laughs> yeah you'll have <laughs> back
1: feedback <laughs> yeah no it would be interesting to see because I I had read like a review of the entire season and because they're adapting two books they felt it so I think this was the Guardian review, they they said they felt it slightly affected the pacing of the last two episodes because they were trying to sort of cram everything in. But it'd be interesting to see if it is a, a faithful adaptation. It's not something that I was okay with before I, I'd heard about the production of this show. And as I say, Joe Cornish was the uh, the hook for me. But I'll definitely give it another go. I mean, this isn't my wheelhouse as much as I know it is you guys'. But... I think there's enough there to convince me to at least watch one more episode. Um, Mo, you said you were going to continue with it. And Milo, are you the same? Uh, Yeah, I think so. So that is all there on Netflix now, um, as is our final show. This was something I sort of heard about this week and thought it would make a bit more of a fun review um, than possibly another drama would. This is physical 100. This, a lot of people have compared to like a real life. Uh, squid game thankfully no death in this but this is um a hundred people they basically scoured for the best bodies the fittest people the strongest people in all of korea so we've got a group of uh, athletes from the national team we've got a lot of competitive bodybuilders a lot of fitness models uh mma fighters uh but then there's also some like famous youtubers here there's uh, cheerleader and actress all of whom think that they are the fittest person in Korea the opening scene is them all meeting and um, in a room that's surrounded by a bust of their sort of torso um, and they're sort of comparing them the first challenge is basically hanging on this big structure now this is sort of a what they describe as a pre-challenge the winner of this will get a benefit in, in the first official task they're all hanging on this uh, structure and the floor opens and one by one when they drop from this structure they drop into the water and um, that is essentially what happens in the first episode i did go on a bit because they separate that hanging thing into two sets they do 50 and then another 50 and then you have the first actual challenge which is this um game with like a one-on-one game where they're fighting over a ball to see who's the strongest and the person who doesn't get the ball by the end goes home you know it's a bit of a, a competition show i felt there might be more sort of reality tv elements than there actually is um i mean mo obviously is the the fittest one of us here today what what did what did you make to this you know
2: <laughs> yeah because my my uh, years of playing kickball is going to <laughs> <laughs> a hang on for dear life onto this like scaffolding structure and not fall into a pool of water. I went into this not really sh- sure whether or not I was going to enjoy it or whether or not, you know, I, it was going to be one of those things I was going to have to pause and then come back. And surprisingly, I was totally immersed. They did this brilliant job of cutting the ending to the first episode, where you you do see someone fall from the first group. You know that there's a winner, but you don't know the identity of that individual unless you go on to the second episode, which I did. I watched a portion of the second episode because I, I wanted to know who won that that competition out of that first mm. first batch of fifty. To be one of the the weaker elements is this: there's with so many contestants, how do you give ample spotlight distinguishing the different contestants, you know, and they glossed over some of them. I mean, you saw X or Y come into the room, hunt for their bus, but they didn't even like list some of their names. So, you know, they're, they're folks you, you haven't even quote unquote officially met. It's hard um, when
1: there's a hundred contestants
0: to and, be fair. And, and, that,
2: and that is fair. And I, I, do, I do believe that that is fair, but it is, again, a weakness. If you're watching this for the quote-unquote reality show elements, that is one of the key elements because then that way you find out which contestants do you gravitate towards. I mean, grant, granted, if you do have some background and understanding of, you know, korean youtubers or korean bodybuilders and so forth you may have an affinity but for me it's just like you know i'm just really curious to see you know i'm more probably curious about the 47 year old mma fighter and how well he does
1: he was really everyone seemed to know him he was like a hero wasn't he He, Yeah. yeah silence fell on the room when he came in
2: it looks like there's at least one American uh, who's a member of um, a Korean baseball team. Mm-hmm. Kind of curious to see, you know, as the American, you know, how well will the American fare in this? I think if you start watching this, you will probably easily get hooked just because you want to see the next competition and you want to see who wins.
1: Mm. I mean, personally, I I was really gripped, pun not intended, the first group of fifty doing that challenge. I mean, you didn't mention the the German male model who very much reminded me of Hansel from Zoolander. <laughs> yes. And um, was it Tarzan? Like this, this you know, there's several like people recognise these YouTubers. I mean, Mo, I would have thought you were a massive fan of Bulk up the, uh, the <laughs> Korean YouTuber, the TBs. And um, I did get a bit bored watching it again because it's like I've just seen 50 people do this and now I'm going to watch another 50 people do it, you know. It felt a bit repetitive after a while and then the first challenge, it was people doing the same thing. So I think it struggled to live up to its initial concept, you know. It's it's an intriguing idea, you know, as I say, the, the tagline and, and several of the contestants do reference Squid Game as well, you know, that. But I, I think, you know, they were all scenes quite supportive of each other there was that competitiveness that you would get from athletes which is it's very natural but um there, there wasn't much tension there you know they are competing for um a lot of money i i did write it down it was it was it three three hundred million one or something like that
2: that sounds about right yeah
1: you know there is an incentive there but it is just very much this is happening now this is happening now this is happening and you get a few characters as we've said but because there's so many people i i wonder if after this first challenge when they cut it from 100 to 50 you do get to see a few more of the personalities but i think with with a game show it may well be that you get left with sort of more of the blunder personalities rather than like the models the youtubers the the mme fighter who we referenced so i don't think i'd be going on past this but i i'm glad i actually gave it a shot because it is an interesting concept what about you milo uh
3: yeah i'm in the same boat i think i Mm. don't think it was potentially the most attention grabbing um first challenge they could have gone with and But I do like the fact that they got out the references to Squid Game early. They're very much aware they're drawing from Squid Game, which is going to make it interesting to see how similar the official Squid Game reality show is whenever that comes out in mm. terms of what they're trying to do and how they differentiate the two. I also um, really like how uh, humble everyone was. It's a very significant change from the hyper competitiveness of say something like Love Island for example and just everyone's so supportive of each other and at this stage at least it could change later on once the stakes get higher but for now everyone's so supportive of the survivors they're all really cheering each other on and um, I did watch half of it in the English dub and then half of it subtitled okay I started off with the English dub and that was a massive mistake um I wouldn't recommend it (laughs) I
1: say to be honest with you I did watch this normally I would watch subtitles but I was just feeling a bit lazy but I think I understand why you switched over
3: yeah it definitely gives it a more authentic vibe I think so (laughs) I think I'll enjoy it more depending on the tasks that they do um I have to see what the tasks are to work out whether it's on something I'm going to stick with or not but for now it's 50 50 and I don't know I know they released the first two episodes but correct me if I'm wrong I think they're releasing it like weekly afterwards aren't they?
1: I'm not 100% sure I think it might be two a week but I'm not
3: sure. I don't Uh, know if that's going to be a good idea in terms of keeping people's attention particularly if you're on the fence about it how many people are going to go back. Yeah it feels
1: like this would be another you know a binger one wouldn't it really but I you know it's interesting to see how, how much retention there would be. Um, but yeah, and, and I saw on Twitter last night, it made you feel like you should be going to the gym more. Is that...
3: <laughs> Definitely a lot of uh, goals there to achieve that. Probably not going to reach, but I kind of know how I'm enjoying. <laughs>
1: I'll play kickball like Mo Walker is the uh, the moral of the story here so yeah as as Milo said the first two episodes of Physical 100 are there on Netflix now so and that is us done for another week thank you very much for listening and thank you very much to uh, Milo and to Mo for joining us today Uh, do you want to just go through where people can find you on Twitter again I'll start with Milo
3: Milo underscore AFC and thank you very much for having me on again for the second time. I
1: You're hope disappointed. You're very welcome, Milo and, and Mo.
2: You can find me at Dr Mo77 on Twitter. And again, I'm I'm always grateful when uh, you all allow me to be on the show.
1: Yeah, and we, as I said before, at the Custard TV at so at Custard TV Pod at Luke Custard TV at Matt's TV Bytes on Facebook, the Custard TV. On Instagram, it's CustardTV and CustardTVReviews at gmail.com. Next week, as I mentioned, we will be uh, discussing in depth the final episode of Happy Valley and also um, Skymax's adaptation of uh, Nick Cornby's Funny Woman. So that is to come next week. Uh, but for now, thank you and goodbye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook.